0: The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, if you have your Bible with you, there we go. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open it to that same text, Matthew, or Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Um, beginning last week and then over the next few weeks, we're talking about um, small groups. We're talking about building relationships Um, with God, with one another as Christians, and then with people who are not followers of Christ. And there's an order to that. Um, We're doing it in this way on purpose, because first and foremost, our relationship with God has to be right before we can have relationships with other uh, believers. And our our relationship with other believers has to be right before we have Relationships with people who aren't followers of Christ. So again, there's an order, there's a progression um, to that. I have been in relationship with people from the church ever since I was uh, ever since I was. A child. Ever since I was, ever since we moved to Peachtree City, Georgia, in 1976, we got connected to a church. I've shared that um, story with you before. We got connected to a church when I was in high school. Was involved in youth group. We went to Mexico three times to do short-term mission trips and all sorts of service projects and youth group and just building connections and building relationships with other people within the church. And then there was a period of time in our lives where we didn't go to church. Um, actually, we did go to church, but we weren't in any kind of relationship. So I would say we didn't actually go to church. Even though we are physically present in a building where God was worshipped, I don't know that w- that you could call what we did going to church. Because we just didn't know people. We weren't involved. We weren't engaged. And that changed, and I'm going to talk more about this a little later, but that changed Um, in the mid-90s when we got connected to a church in Marysville, Ohio. And everything changed for us when it came to being involved in service and involved in small groups within the church. We're talking about this text today, Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Um, If you remember a few years ago, we did an entire series on the book of Hebrews. I think we did it verse by verse. We had all of these awesome props by our stage design team up here. Each one of the elements of the temple and the tabernacle—maybe you remember that. Um, here's here's the context of this Hebrews um, text. Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians who were tempted to return to the safety of Judaism, to what was known and comfortable and allowed amidst the persecution of Christians from the state the rest of the culture, and from their fellow Jews. Here's here's everything that that means. Christianity at this point in history, when the book of Hebrews was written, was just kind of a sect, S-E-C-T. It was a part, a portion of Judaism. The difference between the Christians and the Jews was the Christians believed that Jesus was the Messiah. He died for their sins, so that's who they worshiped. That's how they honored God. And with all of these pressures that were coming down on them, we talked about this um, last month, over the past few months in our Revelation series, with all of culture coming against them, these Jews, these Jewish Christians, were tempted to return to the safety of Judaism. Does that make sense? Because Judaism was kind of a safe religion. It was an allowed religion by the Roman Empire. So it would be easy for them just to, to go back and be Jews again. So for the so for 10 chapters, for the first 10 chapters of the book, the author is putting Judaism into the context of Christ. He talks about Jesus being God's son and he talks about how the stories and the songs and the rituals of the Old Testament were all about Jesus. Throughout those 10 chapters, that's what he's doing. The culture of Judaism was all about Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament found its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. If you remember the priesthood and the elements of the temple and the elements of the tabernacle, those things were all about Jesus. Those were the rituals that they followed. The author of Hebrews mentions the Psalms 18 times. That's more than once per chapter. Those are the songs of their culture, and they all point to Christ There are 23 other references to the Old Testament in the book of Hebrews. References to Abraham and Jeremiah and others. Isaiah, just read through chapter 11. We call that the hall of faith as Christians. Every one of them is about Jesus. So then to return to Judaism, right? To to not worship Jesus as the Messiah. To return to Judaism was to reject the reality of who God was in their lives right? to go to go For everything to point forward to Jesus, to be fulfilled in Jesus, and then for a group of people to say, I don't want to worship Jesus. I want those things. I would rather go back to the temple and bring a sacrifice. I would rather go back to the temple and bring an offering. I would rather go back and follow the law. I would rather go back and do these things was to reject God. And what Hebrews is trying to do is to pull them out of their old culture and to direct them to a new community, to direct them to a new culture of trust, hope, acts of love and good deeds and gathering to encourage one another. That's the text that Ben read a minute ago and we're going to read it again. See, these four things, trust, hope, acts of love and good deeds and gathering to encourage one another, they're not individual It's really difficult, if not impossible, to do these things on our own and without anyone else. They cannot be done apart from the Christian community, is what I would say. Let's read again that text. If you have the the YouVersion app, you can follow along in there. If you're using your Bible, you can read along with me. And this is um, Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25 again. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. So, press pause. Are you seeing the symbolism from the Old Testament here? From the tabernacle and from the temple? And since we have a great high priest, there it is again, who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise." Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We have access to God because of the blood of Christ we have, remember the word from last year, unprecedented? Remember how everything was unprecedented? We have unprecedented access to God because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of what Jesus did on the cross for each and every one of us. We have access to him. We do collectively. That pronoun us is used four times. I don't know if you noticed that. It's used four times. Let us. This is community. This is not, or as much as it's individualistic, as much as I have access to God, I'm called to do something in community with my fellow believers. This is something that we do together. Last week when Joe was reading through Luke chapter 15, he read us three stories. There was the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. And in each and every one of those stories, did you notice what happened at the end They got together as community and celebrated. They didn't just keep it to themselves, but the context of their relationship with God, of them being right with God, of other people being right with God, their context was community. So let us do these things. Let us go right into the presence of God. In the Old Testament, if you remember, the only people who had access behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies was the high priest, and that was one time per year. That was the only time, other than if God would appear to you, there's a few scenes of that in Scripture. But the only time you would have access to God is through someone else, which is really kind of interesting because we have access to God through someone else, right? His name is Jesus. But we also have direct access to God. There is, I or any of our pastors, neither I nor any of our pastors or none of our elders, we're not high priests for you. You don't go through us to get to God. You go through Jesus to get to God, but you don't go through us to get through God. You have this access. You have something that people in the Old Testament never had. Part of what we do on a Sunday morning is we, we enter into that space together. And yeah, there's a whole bunch of ways we can enter into the presence of God. But we do that together on a Sunday morning. We enter into God's presence together. Boldly, we go right in is what the text says. Go right in, we go right in. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be ashamed. We go right in. When we repent and we confess our sin, we go right in. We go right into God's presence. The author also writes this let us hold tightly to the hope, to hope because God is trustworthy to keep his promises to his people. See, we get to tell one another when we are gathered together in community, we get to tell one another of the things that God is doing. We get to cling tightly to that hope because God is trustworthy to keep his promises to his people. We get to gather together. We get to talk about what God has done. How has God fulfilled his promises to you in your life this week? Now, some of you are wondering how we do that in here. Hold on to that thought. Because what we do as a gathered church is not just this thing. See, some of these things we we can't do unless we're spending time in relationship with one another. I would actually argue we can't do any of these things unless we're in relationship with one another. It's impossible for us to fulfill what we are being called to in scripture if we're not in relationship. He continues, he says, let us motivate one another to acts of love and good deeds. We talked about this a few weeks ago, when we talked about serving. This is an us responsibility. Let us motivate one another to acts of love and good deeds. It's not just the job of our pastors and elders and our team leaders to make serving sound awesome. That's all of your job. That's all of our responsibility. And one of the ways we do that is we talk about the things that God is doing When we are around other believers, what is God doing through your serve? What is God doing through you in the way you serve in children's ministry or on the food team or in the garden or greeting or coffee or creative arts or tech or stage or missions? And I'm sure I'm skipping teams. See, these are the things when we gather together as teams, this is what we need to be talking about. We need to talk about what God is doing through the things that, are, that we are doing to encourage one another, to motivate one another to acts of love and good deeds. And see, we won't do this if we're not in relationship. If we're not in relationship, you, you can't motivate me because I'm not going to hear about it. I'm not going to know what God is doing unless you're telling me. So you have to tell, I have to listen, I have to tell, and you have to listen. And these things all happen within the context of community as believers. This is how we build relationships with other Christians. Let us not neglect, here's the fourth one, let us not neglect our meeting together, but to encourage one another. I think this part right here um, may be more than any of the other three. I think this particular piece, this gathering together would have been the most dramatically different thing when it came to culture between Judaism, between the Jews and the Christians. See, when the Jews in the Old Testament would gather together, yeah, they would have meals. They would do all these things, but they were they were all around an offering. They were all around a sacrifice. These Christians are being called not for sacrifices or burnt offerings, but they were being called together for encouragement. They were being called together to share what God was doing in their lives, what they were seeing, what they were perceiving God to be doing. They were gathered for encouragement because the text says, the day of Christ's return was drawing near. I don't know if you knew this, but the day of Christ's return is drawing near. Few weeks ago, remember we talked about the word soon, right? You're driving across country with your kids and they want to know when you're gonna get there, and what was your answer? Soon. Like we don't know what soon means. But Jesus is coming back, and if they thought the day of Christ's return was drawing near two thousand years ago, it's probably a little closer today, isn't it? See, we don't know when this is going to happen. But as we think about the way we interact just with our own, just with our own culture, the way we interact with our own society and, and, and we feel things pressing in on us. And I gotta tell you, if you haven't been paying attention to what's been happening in Afghanistan over the last 10, 10 days, um, like we have no idea of a state going against Christians. Can't even, can't even imagine what that would be like. But Christ's return is drawing near. And we need to encourage one another. We need to support one another. I, I heard about an interaction that one of our pastors had with someone earlier this week about this person feels like the culture is encroaching on what he is supposed to do as a follower of Christ. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to stand up amidst this culture that is pressing in on me? See, what we need is, is encouragement. And my suggestion to that pastor was, maybe we should get a group of people who all work in the same vocation as this person. And maybe we should have a round table and maybe we should talk about how we deal with a culture encroaching on us as Christians. What is our responsibility Besides hashtags, besides complaining about it on Facebook. Like, how are we going to respond? How are we going to love other people? How are we going to show kindness and mercy and grace to people who believe differently than us? Maybe we should all talk about that. See, that's what it means to encourage. And there are some Christians today you act like they don't need Anyone. They can just do this thing with with God on their own. They don't need to be encouraged, but how can you be obedient to this if you're not in relationship? How can you follow God's commands to encourage one another if you're not in relationship? We can't do that. And see, this isn't just about the ten fifteen. I've heard, so many, I've heard so many churches and so many pastors use verse 25 from Hebrews chapter 10 as a bludgeon, right? You have to come to church. 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 And you know what? This gathering matters. You should come to this gathering. But this is not the most important thing we do. This is why we talk all the time about small groups and about serving and about being involved and engaged in our community because this is not the most important thing we do. It's not an unimportant thing. It's not not a priority. But this gathering that this author is writing about is more than just what happens at a certain space at a certain time on a certain day. It has to be more about that because right now, let's go back to Christians in Afghanistan. That's like, I know that we're supposed to believe that, that, that what we're witnessing is a kindler, gentler Taliban. Like that is nuts. There's gonna come a time where those churches, where those Christians are not gonna be able to gather in a fixed time in a fixed place on a certain day. And my hunch is they're not going to stop being the church just because they can't gather in a place. That's the kind of church I wanna be a part of. A church that's not dependent on brick and mortar. A church that's not dependent on someone standing up in front of a group of people reading scripture. Right, we wanna equip you, we wanna teach you, we wanna train you so that you can be the church And what I love about what we've learned over the last 16 months is is even in the midst of shutdown, like we were still being the church with one another because we didn't require this building to do that. And I'm so thankful for that. And I think I'm not alarmist. You know, that time could just come again. So we want to be the church. We want to be the church now. We don't want to say, yeah, we're going to do that if... We want to do it now. I want to challenge you and I want to encourage you. See, verse 25 is like, a. remember we talked about Revelation a few weeks ago. We talked, we had this, we had the woman who was giving birth and one of the things we said was, like that was Mary, but it was not Mary. It was Mary, but she was also representative of all of humanity. See, the, Verse 25 is talking about things like the gathering, the weekly gathering, but it's not just the weekly gathering. If all you do is come here into this space 52 weeks a year, it's possible, and I would even say likely, that you will not communally hope, you will not communally trust, you will not communally motivate, and you will not communally encourage. Because we don't, often have space for that. We, we try to make space for it, which is, why the, which is why the building opens at nine o'clock, right? To give you space to do these things with one another, for one another as a church. So when we, when we come rolling in at 10, 12, and then the second the reprise starts, we all make for the exits because we want to get out of here. See, when we do that, we're not leaving space to communally hope, trust, motivate, or encourage. There's no space for it. If you're coming to small group, if you're going to serve, if you're in Sunday school, if you're doing some of those other things, you have space for it. But so often the way we think about this Sunday morning gathering is not this. And we have to ask the question, why is that? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Because these are the things that we are called to do. And these things happen naturally, these things of communally hoping, trusting, motivating and encouraged they happen naturally when we serve together. When we are pulling weeds in the garden, you talk to one another. When you serve in the soup kitchen, you talk to one another. We have a workday coming up. At the, I think it's the first Saturday in October. We have a workday coming up. I think we're going to spend three hours together doing hard work. That Jim is going to come up with a list of 42 million things for us to do. <laughs> and you know what we're going to do? We're going to talk to one another. We're going to engage one another. You're probably going to talk to people you didn't know. And it's, that's like by design. This is why we do the things that we do. The reason we have ministries at Westway is not to keep you busy, it's to help you belong. We talked about that a few weeks ago. I don't know about you, but I don't need another thing on my calendar. I just don't. That was, that was one of my biggest takeaways from 2020 was I felt like my calendar was constantly being taken away from me. And coming out of that whole year, I, made the decision like, I'm going to take control over my calendar. I'm going to be a part of the things that are life-giving to me. And one of the things that I found to be life-giving to me is serving, spending time with other believers. And belonging is hard. Relationships are hard. Our relationships. In the church, our relationships with other believers are practice and prep and training for our relationships with people outside the church. I want you you to take that in for a minute. Our relationship with other believers is practice and prep and training for our relationships with people outside of the church. In Acts chapter two, verse 42, we read that the early church met for teaching fellowships and prayer. And there were lots of great things that took place in those initial meetings. But we read through the rest of the New Testament. We read through the rest of the letters to see what those church gatherings were really like. I think what Luke is doing is he's, he's kind of painting this idyllic picture for us of what the early church was like. And it's really easy for us to look back into that, right? And with this, with C.S. Lewis calls it historical, actually he calls it historical snobbery. That's like where everything in the past was bad and everything in today is good. See, we do the opposite with the, with the New Testament church. We tend to think that the New Testament church had everything right. And if we could just be exactly like the New Testament church and everything would be great. Well, if all you do is read Acts 242, you're probably right. Here's the rest of the story. Teaching fellowship meals and prayer. These other letters tell us what they really what really happened. Paul, I don't know if you knew this, Paul literally bored someone to death with a sermon. He was preaching the guy first fell asleep and then he fell out a window and died. What did Paul do? He went outside. Like I love this is one of my this is a life goal of mine, just so you know. He went outside. He brought Eutychus back to life. They went back inside, had the Lord's supper, and then Paul continued to preach until dawn. I love that. Like, I don't know, you probably know, there's a little sermon timer back there on the back screen. And by now, you have figured out that that means literally nothing to me. (laughs) See, how did the church respond? How did they love one another as they prepped to love the world? I'm sure that there were times when the church's fellowshipping was absolutely brutal. I'm sure when the church got together, they were absolutely annoyed with with one another. There would probably be people who only ever talked about themselves in that early church. There were probably people who smelled bad. There were probably people who had dandruff. There were probably people who had annoying personalities they probably weren't all best friends. But here's the thing. They didn't need to be best friends because they had a mission that was beyond themselves. See, they loved and they cared for each other regardless of what their annoyances were. And this is what we are called to because the church, our, our gatherings, and, and not just ten fifteen, but the way we are in small group with one another, is the way, the way we treat one another in small group when that person won't shut up? When that person won't stop talking and we get annoyed by them? Like that's how we are gonna be with people who aren't followers of Christ. If we're put off by other people's behavior as Christians, we are not gonna accept people outside the church. It starts Here. Their meals, let's talk about their meals for a second. Man, just read 1 Corinthians and see what their meals were like. Wealthy people didn't even wait for everyone to get there before they ate all the food, drank all the wine, got drunk. That was was, was the meals that the church at Corinth, like that's what they did. Paul told them to stop it. Paul told them to wait. What's a non-Christian gonna, and Paul didn't take this tact, right? But what's a non-Christian gonna think when he walks into that room and all the good food is gone, all the wine is gone, and everyone's drunk? What's a non-Christian gonna think about that? Why would I ever be a part of this community? They don't even wait for themselves. They don't even wait for people who are supposed to be their brothers and sisters. Why would I join this community and their prayers? What's interesting is Jesus warns people in the gospels to, to, not, um, to not pray for the attention of others. Right? To not, not use flowery language. To not stand on street corners. So chances are there was some of that happening within the early church. I'll bet some people used prayer time in the early church for gossip. I'll bet some people used more time than what they were supposed to. I'll bet some people never prayed for anything because they, were, they didn't wanna talk about what was going on in their lives. And see, again, what we do with one another is practice for how we're gonna treat non-believers. If we cannot love and accept one another... If our goal is to not be in relationship with anyone in this room, I don't know how you're gonna be in relationship with people who aren't Christians. I just don't, don't see it. We're called into relationship with one another. Cody and I were talking about this last Tuesday and Cody said this, this is not just about going to church. It's about being in relationship with the church. See, when we talk about gathering, it's not, it's not just about coming here. It's about being in real relationship with one another. And like I said, I get it. If you show up at 10, if you show up at 10 12, and you leave right away, you, if you feel like you're missing something, you are. You are missing something. You're missing the relationship. And what I wanna tell you you can't put that on someone else. You can't point the finger and say, it's their fault, no one ever talks to me. What time do you get here? 10.12. What time do you leave? 10.35 or 11.35. Maybe you leave at 10.35 because that's when I'm up. (laughs) Thanks, Emily. (laughs) See, we have to take responsibility for this relationship with one another. We have to take responsibility for that. You don't have a relationship with an address. You don't have a relationship with a building. You have a relationship with a body. You have a relationship with other people. This is what we are called to as Christians. And I would say if you're not actually in relationship with anyone in the church, I would say you are not being the church. You're not fulfilling what God has called you to fulfill. How can you? These four things: hope, trust, motivation, encouragement they all happen in small groups. It's what we're talking about over these few weeks. Being in small group is risky. We talk about good things and we talk about bad things and we talk about ugly things in our lives. It's an opportunity for us to be obedient to the Bible and confess our sins to one another. Small groups, an opportunity for accountability, for people to challenge our thinking, to not tolerate our sin and to call us on our crap. Because I have stuff in my life that I need to be called on. And that's the responsibility of my wife That's the responsibility of our elders and our other pastors. And I have given permission to the people that are in my small group to call me on my nonsense. And Hannah's nodding because they do. This is what we're called to do. Because see, what what non-believers want to hear from Christians is not We've got this all figured out. Our lives are perfect. See, non Christians don't want to hear that. You know why? Because we don't have it all figured out and our lives aren't perfect. Those things are not true about us. I recently had someone tell us in small group that until they came to our small group, they thought that pastors and their wives never struggled with anything. Like their, their perception and their perspective of, of pastors and their wives were like on this pedestal and there was never any problem in their lives. Well, man, if you think that, you should come to small group. Because we talk about what's going on in our lives. We want our small group leaders to talk about what's going on in their lives. We wanna be honest, we wanna be open And if we're not loving and serving one another in, in those ways as Christians, we're never gonna love and serve who, people who are not followers of Christ. See, our non Christian friends and relatives and coworkers and family members, they need to know that you're a real person, that you have real problems. They need to hear that. And they need to hear about the hope that lies within you, right? They need to hear the hope of Jesus Christ and how Jesus has transformed you, how Jesus has transformed me. This is what we are called to. And these things happen in small group. Relationship is not a choice. It's what we're called to as Christians. I realize I've used that word called a lot. I had someone in our small group um, actually send me a text about it a few weeks ago kind of asking about, what does that mean, called? What does it mean that this is something we are called to? Well, it's something that we're supposed to do. This is what Jesus wants us to do. It's how he wants us to live our lives. He's calling us. He's telling us to be in relationship with one another. If you're not in relationship through service or through small groups, if you don't come to the hog roast in a few weeks, if you don't come to our Thanksgiving meal in November, like, or the other 82 million ways that we have to be in relationship with you, um, you're missing out. You're missing out. And frankly, so are we. We are missing out. And so are the non Christians among us, they're missing out. I wish, I wish you knew as followers of Christ, I wish you knew how much influence you had in the lives of other people. I wish you knew how much influence you could have in the lives of other Christians, of how much of an impact you make. I wish you knew how much influence you had in the lives of non-Christians. I wish you knew how much you mattered in the kingdom to us, to me, to one another, to people who don't know who Jesus is. I wish you knew how much you mattered. Back in 1995, we moved to Columbus, Ohio. And we were in this phase in our lives where we were, where where we knew there was something missing in our lives and we had enough growing up in church um, as our cultural experience to know that that thing that was missing in our lives was Jesus. So we, we started looking for churches and we were also looking for childcare. And I, you've probably heard this before, but it matters today because we're talking about the impact and the influence that we have on other people. And I don't know how we did this in 1995. Um, there was probably like a newspaper or something that we found this person's phone number in that was looking that that provided childcare. Um, and we connected with this lady named Teresa Poland who had a childcare daycare in her home. And um, Ann met with her with our kids, and she said, "I'm full. My daycare is full." but God is telling me that I have to take your kids. So Teresa Poland took our kids during daycare. And shortly after that, she began to invite us to go to church. I was working most Sundays every month, so so Anne went with her to church. Teresa waited outside every Sunday morning for her to get there, either at the car or at the door, Carried our kids inside, carried, you know, the, you guys have backpacks now, like we didn't used to have that. Um, we had like these big baby bags that for some reason we stuffed a thousand diapers into even though we were only going to church. Like Teresa met Anne outside the building every single Sunday, carried our kids to their classes, sat next to her, answered her questions, talked to her, and basically just... Loved her and then me, loved us into God's kingdom. See, this was someone who, because she was at a church where they loved each other well, they were ready to love non-believers. They were ready to love people who didn't know Jesus. And this is what we are called to this is our responsibility. I wonder how many people in our lives we have, we've seen struggling with their kids on a Sunday morning and we haven't helped. I wonder how many times we haven't paid attention to, to new people in the room. We haven't connected with them. I want to encourage you this morning to look for ways to build relationships with other believers, to serve, to build relationships through serving. There are so many ways to do that. If you've noticed on Sunday mornings when we have a scripture reader, the person is always up here and they always talk about the way they serve. And we do that because we want you to know all the ways that there are to serve Some of them are greeting and welcoming children at the children's counter. It's not minimal. It's easy. It's simple. Other ways to serve are serving in children's ministry or serving on tech team in the booth or serving as a creative arts person, right? Some of those things require more effort. They require more time and more energy. But if you're looking for a way to serve, And God is calling you to do that. I just want to extend that invitation to you to serve. And here's the second thing. I want to invite you to build relationships through small groups. Um, Starting the week of September 12th, um, most of our small groups are going to be going through a series called Rooted. There's a big table out in the lobby. You'll know it because it says Rooted on the front of it. It starts on September 12th. You'll find the books, that we're gonna be studying through. Those are gonna be available to you to purchase next week for $15. You can pay with cash, check, or card. There's also a list of locations, days, and dates. So we wanna encourage you into this. We're gonna do this as a church. And I hope that you will go and attend a small group, that you will intentionally build relationships with people that you don't know. And because this is important to us, we're, we're actually limiting our small group size from 12 to, 12 to 14 people. Because we wanna make sure that everyone has the opportunity to be involved and engaged. So next week when those sign up sheets hit, you need to sign up. I would encourage you to take one of the flyers today that has the dates and times and locations on it so you can be thinking about and praying about which small group you wanna be a part of. We're not trying to fill your calendar. We're trying to help you belong. Christians, we are called to build relationships with other Christians. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for telling us your desires for our lives. Thank you that we don't have to sit and wonder what you want from us. as much as you are calling us to be in relationship with you and you are, you call us to be in relationship with other Christians. Help us to be just as concerned and just as obedient to those commands as we are about other things in scripture. In us and your sons name, we pray, amen.